Hmm. The clones of Bruce Lee. What a scientific achievement this will be. Three of them, eh, Professor? Do you really think you can do it? Yes, I think I can, Mr. Collin. Hmm. Good luck, sir. Our subjects seem to be doing quite well. Three Bruce Lees. <laughs> Start the training. At the dawning of the morning On the yard of the dragon High atop the hills of San Francisco Life's greatest legend was born Lee has been a household name for almost 50 years, and it's not hard to understand why. He pretty much single-handedly made the Kung Fu movie an international phenomenon in the early 70s, despite only having appeared in five films. So understandably, the film world was rocked by his untimely death at the age of 32, just as he reached his peak of fame. The international film market found themselves in a conundrum as well, because where do you go from here? Do they move on and try to find the next big name in Kung Fu pictures? Fuck no. Film producers just started hiring a bunch of martial artists and stuntmen that looked similar to Bruce and attempted to get them to adopt his mannerisms and style, hoping film audiences wouldn't notice. And voila, Bruceploitation was born. Throughout the 70s, this bizarre subgenre of films played in theaters all over the world, starring Lee imitators with names like Bruce Lai and Bruce Le. In movies with titles like Fists of Fury 2 and Enter the Game of Death, trying to squeeze just a few more bucks out of Bruce Lee's legacy. On today's episode of Slums of Film History, we'll explore a subgenre of films that's so audacious, so tasteless, and so exploitive that it could only happen in the 70s. So join us as we punch, elbow, and kick our way through Bruceploitation. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from amputation, masturbation, menstruation, and castration. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Good. What's new? Oh, you know, just trying to f- write episodes. <laughs> 
and finish them five minutes before we record them. Yeah. Did we tell people in the last episode, I forgot if we did or not, but we're doing six all in a row this week while you're here. Usually we do like maybe three or we four. We do like four at a time. We do four at a time in three increments. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. But we got a week to do it. So we're getting it done. We also haven't finished when we started recording, but we're almost there. I'm almost done. Good, good. And me too. I've got some things I still need to finish up. But what do you want to talk about before we start? The only thing that I was thinking of is like, did you see any movies in the past year and six months? Obviously, didn't go to the th- you went to the theater one time. I haven't been. Right. I went to the theater one time. I saw Spiral, the Saw reboot or whatever. Oh, boy. With Chris Rock. But no, I hadn't seen anything uh, the prior year. I did see a few films. Uh, I think one of my top ones from last year was Promising Young Woman. I really liked that one. Yeah, I remember you telling me to watch that. And I was like, I'm not going to watch it. And then like one second later i was like well maybe i'll watch it yeah i like that one too i thought that was really good i kind of thought she was gonna win best actress this year but didn't win no francis no. mcdormand for a third time i love that movie nomadland yeah so. that's a good one too i enjoyed I was, that i was totally behind that winning best picture my favorite movie did not get nominated <laughs> Big surprise because it's such a Debbie Downer. But my favorite was never, rarely, sometimes, maybe, maybe. Is that it? Rarely, no. I just really, maybe, sometimes. Yeah, it's probably, a super happy, definitely. exciting movie about a girl from rural Pennsylvania who goes to New York to get an abortion with her best friend. And that's all the movie is. And I was just like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I kept trying to get other people to watch it. And everybody was like, why would we watch that? Super depressing. Yeah. And I was like, because, oh, right. I have a very specific taste in movies. Right. Depressing movies is your thing. I love it. I love it. I love that movie. What else? What else was out? I don't know. I watch a bunch of garbage. That's what I watch. I watch garbage. Yeah. I definitely watch a lot of garbage, that. too. I rewatched a lot of like my DVD collection. I started off having like movie night every night because California is completely closed and also I have friends but like nobody left the house you know we didn't see anybody a lot of my friends have kids so I definitely watched a lot of my old favorites I watched an Alfred Hitchcock movie every night for like three weeks so I think I've pretty much seen every Alfred Hitchcock movie I watched The Crying Game again I watched Being John Malkovich like I just I went back through my DVDs watched The Straight Story yeah like basically every movie from 1999 that I bought on DVD (laughs) I was like, I bought a Blu-ray player and a DVD player. And I was like, all right, well, I haven't pulled these old things out in a long time. I guess the pandemic was just uh, was made for me in my DVD collection from 1999. So So I started watching like classics that I'd never seen. Like I'd never seen Citizen Kane all the way through. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to watch it. And I watched it and watched African Queen and some other movies. And then by the time I had to start researching the episodes, it was a straight trash. And I started watching trash. And so you'll see in upcoming episodes some of the trash that I had to watch and that you also watched with me. And yeah, I thought you were going to say that you forced me to watch with you. There's two in this episode that one yeah. of them was kind of fun. Last night's, I fell asleep in the middle of it. Yeah, it was bad, but we'll talk about that yeah. going forward. On that note, we're going to get moving. I'd love to. Okay, so I'm going to start with history like we always do. Yeah. And I'm going to go into Bruce Lee's history as briefly as I can. And just in case you don't know, and some of our listeners may not know, yeah, sure. just give you a little bit of background on him so you can see kind of how this whole genre came about. So to start, Bruce June Fan Lee, Bruce Lee, was born in 
1940 in the Chinatown area of San Francisco. His parents were singers in the Chinese opera. Mm. So I guess his mom was pregnant at the time and gave birth in San Francisco while they were on tour. Oh, wow. Although he was ultimately raised in Hong Kong, Bruce Lee actually started his acting as a child, and he was a child actor in like 20 films or so. Hmm. When he turned 13, Bruce took up martial arts and studied what's known as Wing Chun Gung Fu under renowned Wing Chun master Yip Man. Now, Yip Man, sometimes known as Ip Man, he has a whole film series about him. Oh, wow. But I don't want to talk about him too much just because I've got a lot to talk about with Bruce instead. So I want to move on. But yeah, Yip Man is, a, is an important figure. But Bruce became a pretty good student and he competed and he did some competitions and things like that or whatever. Anyway, around 1959 at age 18, Bruce Lee left Hong Kong and came to the U.S. Supposedly, the reason for this is that he was getting into a bunch of fights mm. in Hong Kong and his parents moved him away so he wouldn't get in trouble. Uh-huh. So he basically had a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air origin story. Right. Except he made his whole career in fighting. So it's kind of ironic. Yeah. Right. It's kind of funny, but yeah, don't get in trouble. So they moved him, you know, to the States. Anyway, he made his way to Seattle where he worked in a restaurant for a family friend. He soon enrolled in the University of Washington where he pursued a degree in philosophy. Bruce began to teach Kung Fu in Seattle and soon opened his first school, the Jun Fan Kung Fu Institute, which is basically Bruce Lee Kung Fu. Two more schools followed in Oakland and Los Angeles. And around that time, Bruce got married to his wife, Linda, and he had Brandon and Shannon, his two children. In the mid-60s, Bruce was discovered while doing an exhibition at the Long Beach Internationals, and after that, he landed a role as Cato in the TV series The Green Hornet, Mm. starring alongside Van Williams, who played the title character. During this time, Bruce was developing his own martial art, and he was kind of mixing it with street style. He was doing his own style. It was called, like, the style of no style. Back to Lee's TV career, The Green Hornet, which was based on a radio show, I didn't know that, lasted only one season, from September 1966 to March 1967. After Lee was out of work for a bit, he started focusing on school and honing his fighting skills a little bit more. He started teaching like actors and Hollywood people. Two of his students were Hollywood scriptwriter Sterling Siliphant and actor James Coburn. The three of them tried to get some projects off the ground and never quite materialized. Lee ended up in a show called Long Street but didn't have a big role. The reason I bring all that up is because in the midst of all that Lee was actually trying to pitch his own television series called The Warrior. Mm. And he was in talks with Warner Brothers about it and he was supposed to star in it. What ended up happening, as rumor has it, is that Warner Warner Brothers basically stole the concept, retold it, renamed it Kung Fu, which you might have heard of this show, and then didn't give Lee any credit and basically cast David Carradine, a white guy, in the role Mm -hmm. who had no martial arts background at the time. So basically, Lee left Hollywood to go back to Hong Kong because he was sort of felt jaded. Yeah, Yeah, basically. So so in 71, Lee goes back to Hong Kong and tries to get into film there. Supposedly, when he got back, people recognized him from the Green Hornet, but they knew it as the Cato show. Mm. Like he was the star of the show. Sure, sure. So he had a little bit of celebrity because of that. As a result, the film company Golden Harvest, there's basically at the time two film companies in in Hong Kong. There Mm -hmm. was the Shaw Brothers, which did like every Kung Fu movie ever, and then Golden Harvest, which was a company of some people that broke off from Shaw. Right. I bring up Golden Harvest because they will become the main company that Lee does his movies with, and we'll yeah. talk about them. Golden Harvest offered Lee a starring role in a film. He, well, he signed a two-picture deal, and the first picture he made with them was called The Big Boss. This was released in 1971, and it was a big fucking hit. The film went on to gross nearly $50 million U.S. worldwide, which is about $300 million equivalent today. Yeah, wow. Against a tight budget of $100,000, 500 times its original investment. 
It was the highest grossing Hong Kong film up to that point. Fun fact, The Big Boss was retitled Fist of Fury in the U.S., mm. which gets confusing when we go on because the next movie Bruce Lee did was called Fist of Fury. Right, right. And this was in 1972. Also, for Golden Harvest, this was the second film of his two-picture deal. This one had another $100,000 budget, but it grossed over $600 million, so it even like doubled what Big Boss made. Oh, wow. So again, they offered him an- another picture, which was called Way of the Dragon. Well, fun fact, let me back up and say, because Big Boss was named Fist of Fury in the States, Fist of Fury was called the Chinese Connection in the U.S., <laughs> to not be confused with the other Fist of Fury that right, was Big Boss. Sure. And they also called it the Chinese Connection because the French Connection had come out recently, and that was a hit, so they wanted a kind of this kind right, of connection. they were like, what can we do to like rip that off, too? Right, yeah. right. One thing to note with Way of the Dragon is that Bruce had a little more leverage with that one, so he was able to produce, I think, write and direct that movie. Mm-hmm. So then Way of the Dragon came out, also made a shit ton of money, Earning 130 million worldwide. So again, these movies were just stacking on top yeah, of each crazy. other. He was getting international success, and these movies were just a gold mine. So at this point, Hollywood was starting to notice, which led to Lee's next film, Enter the Dragon, which everybody knows about Enter the Dragon. Right, right. But hold up, let's back up a little bit before that, because the next film Lee was actually working on was called Game of Death. And he was filming that. He was also directing that and producing that as well. But because Hollywood was offering money and this joint venture I'll talk about in a minute. He put Game of Death on hold. He only filmed about 40 minutes mm. of this movie. So he put it on hold because he was like, I'm going to come back to it after I do Enter the Dragon, but Enter the Dragon is such a big deal. I need to do that now. Sure. Something to note about Enter the Dragon, it was groundbreaking at the time because it was the first time an American company partnered with a Hong Kong film company. So Warner Brothers actually partnered with Golden Harvest to fund and produce this movie. Oh, right, right. So it was a big international collaboration. Mm-hmm. And it had a budget that was unprecedented at the time, $850,000 at the time was mm-hmm. the budget. So a huge budget, way bigger than any of his other movies. Right. So as it goes, End of the Dragon was due to premiere at Hollywood's Chinese Theater in August of 1973. But unfortunately, Bruce would not live to see the opening of the film. Mm-hmm. On July 20, 1973, Bruce had a minor headache. I believe he was training all day. And by the time that he's, his headache came on, he was working on a script or something with some people. He was offered a prescription painkiller called Aquagesic, which I might be saying that wrong. Yep. But after taking the pill, he went to lie down and lapsed into a coma. He was unable to be revived. Extensive forensic pathology was done to determine the cause of his death, but it was not immediately apparent because he didn't have any injuries or anything. Yeah, super sketchy. Super sketchy. The determination ended up being that Bruce had a hypersensitive reaction to an ingredient in the pain medication that caused the swelling of the brain, resulting in coma and death. Mm, still super sketchy. Yeah, we'll come back to all that too. But as it turns out, Enter the Dragon still got released in August of 1973, and it went on to gross $100 million worldwide. It, it's, it was a big hit, just like the other ones. It had international fame, and it was such a big deal. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. Enter the Dragon from Warner Brothers. One thing to note, though, and I need to kind of give you an idea of the time period, too, and what was going on. So when Enter the Dragon came out, there was actually some other kung fu movies that were in U.S. theaters. Okay. There's one called Lady Kung Fu that was out at the same time. There's one called The Shanghai Killers, Deadly China Doll. These were all, like, the top spot for at least a week or so around the time frame. So, Mm -hmm. like, other kung fu movies were big at the time. Yeah. So this whole idea of, you know, martial arts movies were big all up across the board. Plus, this is the early 70s, and if you remember, exploitation movies also incorporated 
some kung fu elements yeah, until we sure. get Jim Kelly and all those folks. So kung fu theater, just in general, was blowing up. And I'm trying to set that stage because you'll see how this all kind of plays out. But like I said, Bruce was dead. So there were no more Bruce Lee movies to be made. But these companies were like, well, we got to do something. We got to come up with some sort of cash right. Shit's a gold mine. Shit's a gold mine. What are we going to do to follow up with that? Well, thus you have the beginning of Bruce exploitation. Mm-hmm. But let me just add that the first film that came out after Enter the Dragon is sort of the bridge film to Bruce exploitation. Okay. Because while it didn't feature lookalikes necessarily, it was rushed out roughly a month after his death. And this film was produced by Golden Harvest. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there was like, we got to throw something out there. Sure, sure. Anything. Anything. Yeah. So the movie they rushed out was called Bruce Lee, The Man and the Legend from 1973. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this. It always comes up in like super like exploitation-y, like desperate attempts. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why, because all this thing is, is basically his funeral. Yeah, yeah. It's just footage of his funeral, like the whole damn thing. That's it. And so they just threw that out there to try to get any kind of buck that they possibly could. Yeah. On July 25th, 1973, over 300,000 people gathered outside the Kowloon Funeral Home to pay their last respects to the man and the star, Bruce Lee. His speed and agility as a martial artist are legendary. Bruce Lee, the man and the legend retraces the path that carried him to international stardom. Do you remember in my Doris Wishman episode how she had like filmed with one of these like porn actresses that was like really, really popular and the porn actress killed herself. And so she basically cobbled together like all of the leftover footage that she had and like put out a documentary. I'm using air quotes about yeah, yeah, her, yeah. but it was basically just leftover scrap footage or whatever. And Cutting porn, room floor shit. Yeah, yeah. And the porn industry was furious because yeah. she tried to make a buck off this woman's suicide you it's know crazy they were furious at her and i'll never forget they did an interview and they said like oh you must feel really bad about doing that and she was like i don't feel bad i'd do it again <laughs> she didn't <laughs> give was a shit. amazing <laughs> she didn't care about any of that shit she's like i was making a fucking dollar she exactly. fit right in here but going back to it the first actual bruce exploitation movie at least that's considered the first bruce exploitation movie is called bruce lee a dragon story and that was out in 1974 mm-hmm. also known as Super Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, because they have different titles to these. It makes it really confusing. The film is a loose biopic about Bruce Lee and centers on his supposed affair with actress Betty Ting Pei. The film is notable for being the first biopic of Bruce Lee. And it's the first film starring Bruce Lai. We'll talk about him. He's probably considered the most popular of the Bruce Lee imitators, but we'll go into more detail about Bruce Lai in a bit. The film attempts to chronicle Bruce Lee's career from his Green Hornet days up to the time of his death. And it talks about, you know, his alleged affair with Betty Ting Pei, who had a working relationship with him. And I didn't mention this before, but I think he was working on a script with Betty. And I don't know for sure, but I think she's the one that gave him the painkiller that Uh-oh. ultimately might have killed him. Yeah. So she killed him. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was what this movie was about. And it was it was like a sordid affair kind of thing, you know, sleazy sort of movie. Yeah, like a, the hard copy version of, of yeah. A, yeah, documentary. Yeah, but that was the first one. And so I just wanted to kind of talk about that one real quick. Now, let's hold up for a second before we go forward. I'm letting you know that I'm breaking this the rest of this up in chunks because there are so many movies and so many actors in this subgenre that I just had to limit myself to the highlights. There's just sure. so much shit in this. So I'm going to go and talk about the stars of these films. It's the first thing I'm going to talk about. But since there are so many, and I just can't discuss them all, but I, what I, I want to do first is sort of name them off. Because like I said before, they all had similar names to Bruce Lee's name mm. for recognition or to confuse people into thinking they're watching Bruce Lee. So I'll just give you a couple examples so you can see what I'm talking about. So you got Bruce Lai, who I mentioned. Then there's Bruce Le, L-E. Bruce Lay, L-A-I. Bruce Lai, L-Y. 
<laughs> Bruce Lee, L-I-E, Myron Bruce Lee, Bruce Chan, Dragon Lee, Bruce Tai, Sarah Lee, Lee Bruce, Bruce Leung, and then Bronson Lee. And these are just a few of the ones that I Yikes, just named off. Yeah. Fun fact, I thought this was funny. So Bronson Lee is actually sort of like a combination of Charles Bronson and I was Bruce about Lee. To say, yeah. If you see a picture of him, it's ridiculous. It's pretty funny. Did you say Sarah Lee in there? I didn't know Sarah Lee was. Uh, <laughs> she was. All she up kicked in here. ass. She made tasty snack cakes and kicked ass. <laughs> so I just want to let everybody know Sarah Lee doesn't fuck around. That being said, with all those crazy names, I just want to focus specifically on three individuals. These guys are considered kind of the top tier of the Bruce Lee imitators. Bruce Lee, as I've mentioned a couple times already, Bruce Lee, L-E, and then Dragon Lee. So I'll give you a little bit of background on Bruce Lee. So Bruce Lee, since we discussed his movie first, he was considered by most to be the biggest star of Bruce exploitation. Bruce Lee was born Ho Chung Dao in Taiwan in 1950. Growing up, he was an avid fan of martial arts. During his formative years, he studied judo, karate, taekwondo, boxing, everything you can think of. In 1970, he enrolled in physical education college. Ho entered the Taiwan Movie Association's actor training school around that time as well. And then he began his career in the motion picture industry as a stuntman slash extra and a number of low-budget martial arts films. It wasn't until Bruce Lee's untimely death that his career picked up, obviously. Noting his resemblance to the recently deceased actor, a friend recommended him to a producer who, desperate to exploit Bruce Lee's likeness, immediately cast him in a leading role in his next film. So did he look like him or... So no, he didn't quite look like him, but his resemblance was better than a lot of the other ones. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I guess that's fair. He's as close as you probably could have gotten. Somebody that could actually do all the stunts he was the one that looked the closest than anybody else. That's fair, yeah. Got when it. he had the hairstyle and kind of imitated the mannerisms, he was passable. Okay, got it. So, yeah. And he didn't call himself Bruce Lee. Producers actually gave him that name and, and really pushed for him to act more like Bruce Lee and, you know, really get into that character mm-hmm. and imitate it. And he was never quite comfortable with that. But he was, like I said, quite successful. And he, he even directed and produced a few of his own movies. And we'll talk about some of those going down the road. Next up, I'm going to talk about his Bruce Lee. He was also born in 1950 in Burma. Birth name, Wong Kin Loon. He is a Macau martial artist and actor. He used to be a contract player for the Shaw Brothers. Remember I mentioned them? Mm-hmm. Before he made the jump to Bruce exploitation. And the last person I want to talk about is Dragon Lee. Sometimes credited as Bruce L-E-I. Mm-hmm. And his bio gets a little sketchy because from different sites, I've gotten different birth dates and different places. He's apparently from South Korea, but also he might be from North Korea. He might have escaped North Korea. There's a bunch of stuff that's contradicting mm-hmm. in different sites I go to. So whatever. And apparently what helped him get started in film was when Dragon Lee was at a theater and a man told him he resembled Bruce Lee and the man knew film directors in Hong Kong and that helped Dragon Lee get into the film industry. Oh, wow. So he moved to Hong Kong and the rest is history for him. So now that I talk about the stars of Bruce Bloitation, now I want to take a look at these films. Like I said, there's so fucking many of them and it's crazy. But I want you to notice a pattern with some of the titles because they generally will have one of three attributes if you look at the titles for the most part. They'll either have Bruce's name in the title, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee's name. There'll be a combination of or a play on a title of an actual Bruce Lee movie. Okay. Or it'll claim to be a sequel to one of Bruce Lee's right, movies. Right, right. So here, I'll read off some of these titles for you just so you get the idea. You've got The Real Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee versus the Superman, Bruce Lee, We Miss You, Bruce Lee, The Man, The Myth, Bruce Lee, His Last Revenge, The Clones of Bruce Lee, Re-Enter the Dragon, which sounded uh, porn to me. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enter the Panther, Enter Another Dragon, Enter the Game of Death, Enter three dragons. That's if bestiality is like not good enough for you. You need to enter bestiality three times. Right. Exit the dragon. Enter the tiger. Oh, boy. Goodbye, Bruce Lee. His last game of death. Big Boss 2. 
Fist of Fury 2, Fist of Fury 3, Fist of Bruce Lee, New Fist of Fury, Game of Death 2, Electric Boogaloo. I, I made up the Boogaloo part. Another trend with these movies, along with similar titles, is that most of them were either like loose biopics or they were movies where someone was investigating the death of Bruce Lee. Okay. And that's where all these weird conspiracy theories would come from, like the triads killed him or he died mysteriously and we got to find out why. Yeah, sure. And, and, people wanted to know. Yeah, exactly. But these movies are what perpetuated that. Yeah. And then some are just fucking crazy plots as well. And I'm going to go into all that stuff. So next, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about a few of these films that I think are the highlight movies of Bruceploitation. I'm going to start with the highlights, and we'll just go downhill from there. Okay. All right. So first movie I want to talk about is considered one of the better Bruce Bruceploitation movies, and that's Bruce Lee, The Man, The Myth from 1976. This one's starring Bruce Lai and is considered, like I said, one of the better movies of the subgenre. It had pretty decent production values and was shot in Hong Kong, Europe, and the U.S., so it had multiple locations. Mm -hmm. The plot basically chronicles Bruce Lee's life beginning with Lee leaving China to go to the University of Seattle, as I mentioned. Most of the benchmarks of Lee's later life, like Green Hornet and marrying Linda and you know Hong Kong stardom and death, are all covered. The end is notable because it does go into theories about Lee's death, and while acknowledging the real cause, speculates everything from triads killing him like we just talked about to him going into hiding Mm -hmm. and that he was going to come out of hiding in like 10 years or something Mm -hmm. the finding is actually pretty good in this and for a bruceploitation flick it's probably one of the bigger budgeted and better of the bunch a lot of bees Fun fact, this film was directed by In Sing Yoon, the director who would go on to discover Jackie Chan. Oh, wow. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Next film is Exit the Dragon, Enter the Tiger, also from 1976. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Pull it out and put it back in. Put it in something else. <laughs> And this is probably the most well-known of the Bruce Bruceploitation flicks, but even so, it has a pretty weird plot. Okay, great. So here's the plot. Bruce Lai is playing a character named David Lee, okay. who is visiting Bruce Lee, who's also played by Bruce Lai, right. on the set of Enter the Dragon. Got it. Bruce Lee tells David Lee that he is his true successor and that he has been receiving strange phone calls. Lee then says, get this, if I die, find out why. We are then given a collage of newspaper clippings of Lee's death, and then... Lai, appalled by the death of Lee, is determined to find out what really killed him and finds out that Bruce Lee was being blackmailed by a drug lord to smuggle drugs. When Lee refused, he was murdered. So, again, so they the, just made this whole thing they up. They just made yeah, the yeah. whole thing up. They just used his real death and made up a whole conspiracy behind it. Yeah. For drama. Bruce Lee's untimely death shocked the entire world. In Exit the Dragon, Enter the Tiger, Lee names his successor, introducing a new star, Bruce Lai. Oh, no! I'll have to find out if there was some foul play and if there was... Not only do they look alike, they fight alike. Bruce Lai on a desperate mission to avenge the death of his master and to answer the painful question of why did Bruce Lee die? And then the last good one, or is considered one of the better ones, is The Chinese Stuntman from 1982. And some people say this is the best one of the whole subgenre. It's certainly the best Bruce Lai film. So most of these ones I'm talking about, the good ones, are all Bruce Lai films. But he also directed this movie as well. And it's sort of meta. Mm. So the plot is, an insurance clerk is hired as a stunt double. He soon becomes a movie star, but finds out that there's a corruption in the Hong Kong film industry, and it runs really super deep. And so he has to fight the corrupt film industry. But Bruce Lai uses this plot to also take shots at the Hong Kong film industry. So he uses it as a statement against how shitty Hong Kong. Yeah, It's essentially like Bruce Lai's 
version of the player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, So yeah. it's that smarter than it has any right to be. The fighting is supposedly some of the best of all the Bruceploitation flicks, and that it's generally an entertaining, decent, good movie. It would also turn out to be one of Bruce Lai's last films, and we'll talk about why. It, at this point, well, I can tell you now why. He was disillusioned. He was always like the reluctant Bruce Lee imitator. Mm-hmm. He, he was clearly one of the best, if not the best, but he was always doing this as a way to star in films yeah, under his own name. make it on name. his own and like be his own character and right. his own, yeah, his own persona. And they always promised him and said, oh, yeah, of course, of course, we'll let you do that. And then they never right, did. Sure, yeah. And, you know, this was his movie that he directed and he helmed and it was a good one. And it was yeah, about disillusionment in the yeah. film industry. And by then he was just like, fuck this, you know. Right. And he had some other issues. But we'll, we'll talk about him and kind of where these guys ended up afterward. But, yeah, this was supposedly the high watermark. And I want to break in during this time, too, because the next thing I want to talk about is uh, the movie Game of Death from 1978. Mm. You and I watched this last night. I watched some of it. <laughs> I kept falling asleep. We had also just started the podcast and it was a school night. Yeah. And it's awful. Like that was the other thing. I was trying to humor you for a while and you woke me up and I was like, I'm sorry, but this sucks. (laughs) I mean, it did suck. I was really pushing through just to get to the end where there was actually good fighting. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know the difference, right? You know, I don't know the difference between good fighting and bad fighting. Okay. I can tell the difference. Let me, let me tell you about the movie. We'll see. I watched some of it. Let me tell you about it. Please do. So this movie's got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in it. Yes. But also somebody that looks kind of like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. It's got that hairy guy with the hairy shoulders. What's his name? Well, it was Chuck Norris. It's Chuck Norris hairy. in this movie. He was super hairy. Nobody even bothered to tell him that, you know, <laughs> that you should shave your shoulders. You're in a major motion picture. With Bruce Lee is in this movie. All yeah. right. So here's the movie. It's the 70s, though, but yes. So Tom already set it up. Bruce Lee had started to make this movie. He only shot 40 minutes of it. And he's only in about 10 of those minutes, right? He's got two fight scenes, one at the beginning, one at the end of this movie that this was not the movie that he shot. No, no, no. So he died before it happened. So what they did was they were like, all right, we're going to take this basically 10 minutes of Bruce Lee footage and we're going to stitch this whole thing together with a completely different plot. And Chuck Norris and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar were like horrified that this movie that they made fucking 10 years ago was going to be re-released with a new plot. <laughs> so they had stand-ins for both. Of, I don't know. Chuck Norris didn't have a stand-in today. Just no. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'll, I'll talk about his appearance. Had a guy wearing that. sunglasses, pr- look, looking nothing like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. Then they bring in this other Asian guy that looks nothing like Bruce Lee. They have him wear these dark sunglasses the whole time. They film him in the dark the whole time. And he got a facelift. Then he had a beard. Like, it's not even close. The footage, it looks like it was shot on another planet than the actual footage that they (laughs) use. The the footage of Bruce Lee looks really good. Like, it's really gritty. And, you know, you can tell that they didn't quite finish it. You know, whatever. It was a nice looking film. But the craziest shit part, which I didn't believe you when you told me before we sat down and watched the movie, is there's this one scene. It's right at the beginning, too. (laughs) Where fake Bruce Lee is having a conversation with this guy. They do, like, two cutaways. Looks like Bruce Lee is on a different planet. And thinking about something totally Something totally different. Reacting totally different. And then they show the fake Bruce Lee, the stand-in, sitting in the mirror, looking at the mirror, and because it looks so little like Bruce Lee, they took a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee's face. They stuck it to the mirror, shot it over the shoulder. And so this guy is a shoulders and a neck 
and then his face is a piece of cardboard stuck to a mirror stuck to a mirror with the printed face of actual bruce lee on it right. it doesn't move it's a fucking piece of cardboard yeah. like there's no reaction there's no facial mapping no, it doesn't move at all and so basically a piece of cardboard played that one scene in the movie right. and it's not a quick flash i mean it's not 35 minutes or anything let's say it's a six second scene but it's long enough to be <laughs> like that is a piece of cardboard on a mirror with shoulders and a neck it is yeah and they did it for like one or two lines so you could see the bad guy was in the same scene with actual Bruce Lee but it was the most unconvincing garbage thing I've ever seen and it's, it's laughably bad but along with the rest of the shots too like you said the film stock is completely different there's no way you can confuse that the scenes are in the same film they just intercut in reaction shots from the original Game of Death just nothing matches and it makes it even worse when you watch it on the Criterion Blu-ray <laughs> yeah the, like everything Criterion did to like like, you know, preserve the integrity of the film made is it like look made worse. it look worse. Yeah. Game of Death was garbage. I know some people like it. It's complete garbage. They're wrong. And you mentioned Chuck Norris at the beginning. So they just used footage from an earlier movie that had a Chuck Norris fight scene and made it look like they were filming it right then. So Chuck Norris wasn't actually in this movie. They just used oh. footage of him from an earlier movie, which Chuck Norris was pissed off about because he thought this movie was disrespectful to Bruce Lee. Yeah. That's if why I Kareem Abdul-Jabbar didn't show up in it again either for the reshoots. Yeah. And they, they just filmed he had a, a tall a black guy too. in the dark. <laughs> in the corner of wearing sunglasses. Because, he had one line. One line because so he wouldn't return for Nobody wanted to return from this movie. I think they initially wanted to hire Bruce Lai to be the character, mm. which probably made it at least marginally better, but he didn't want to be part of this either because he thought it was disrespectful. Nobody wanted to make this movie except Golden Harvest, who was just like, we're cashing in on anything that we have on Bruce Lee. There was no joy in this movie. Like, there are a million different ways they could have, like, recut this to feature him. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. But instead, they tried to fake it. And that's what really was the offensive part of it because no one on the point planet was fooled by that right, you know? right no. and so like they could have done a whole homage to him they could have done this whole you know i mean there was a million different ways they could have stitched together what they had right. in like some meta way which the film is meta it's a movie within a movie right so like there were a million different things they could do and instead they tried to trick everyone in numerous different ways and it was just like it was sad totally you know? unconvincing it was a sad and movie. bad it was a sad movie but it's interesting in the subgenre because it's both a Bruce Ploitation flick because it has all the elements of Bruce Ploitation, yep. but it's an actual Bruce Lee He's movie. also in it, right? So it's really kind of unique in that viewpoint, but it's terrible. I wouldn't say he's in it. That's not the movie he was trying to I make. I mean, it was not yeah. the movie he was trying to make. It's totally different, but it's sort of a middle ground because it is considered part of he's Bruce Lee's it. filmography, yeah. but it's so exploitive and shitty. Columbia Pictures presents the immortal Bruce Lee in his great his motion picture adventure, Game of Death. This is the final film of Bruce Lee. Four and a half years in production with an international all-star cast. Bruce Lee single-handedly takes on an underworld army and fights for his life in the Game of Death. So that's a good segue into the terrible ones. And I just want to talk about these terrible. I have to talk about these. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is called Bruce Lee, the Invincible from 1978. And who gives a shit about the plot? The plot doesn't matter. But the thing is about this movie is that it doesn't have Bruce Lee. It doesn't have any of the notable Bruce Lee imitators in it that I talk about. But uh, what it does have is, I guess, a Bruce Lee imitator and his friend. And they fight Kung Fu Gorillas. Mm. And that's the scene I wanted to show you. So I'm going to have you look at that Great. scene. I got it up. <laughs> All right. 
right, do it. All right. Wait, that's not supposed to be a Bruce Lee lookalike, right? No, and I was wrong. So Bruce Lai is in this, but he's like part of an ensemble group of guys going to kick ass. Oh, okay. Because this guy looks like Bruce Lee's like fat stepdad. Yeah, that's okay. that's somebody else. Cool. Not trying. All to right. Well, him. the gorilla is not a real gorilla. I'm sure no one's surprised by that. Right. He's, you can see the zipper in the back of his suit, and also his suit is like w- real loose on him. They didn't like pad it with newspaper like you're supposed to do. Yeah. This gorilla took zero gorilla lessons. No. Oh shit! He's doing cartwheels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously like very funny, but I mean, this was supposed to be a, is this a comedy? Is this a spoof? Like this gorilla. No, I think I'm trying to, I don't know. Have you ever seen the shaggy dog? (laughs) And the shaggy dog literally punches people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that's what this looks like. I think it was supposed to be somewhat serious. You just grab a tree. (laughs) But I don't know because this movie's also kind of rapey too. And it's Mm. got like this perv chasing this woman around that he's held captive. I guess that's part of the plot. I don't know. Bruce Lai and the fat guy that's beating up the gorilla and somebody else are on this village <laughs> trying to ca- with his feet. rescue somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is funny. You're very All entertained right, by that. I'll turn it off. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so that's Bruce Lee, the Invincible. And that's mm. outrageous and crazy, but it's not the worst oh, good. one. So the next movie I want to talk about is called Clones of Bruce Lee from 1980. And this one is considered one of the worst, but enjoyably bad Bruce Bruceploitation movies. The plot is that Bruce Lee actually dies, but his body is rushed into a lab where he's cloned by scientists who work for the SBI, the Special British Intelligence. No, special, all right. Which is kind of like the SIA from Jim Cotta, I guess. You remember, remember mm-hmm. the SIA? Yes, I own Jim Cotta, thanks to you leaving it at my house and not taking it back. Yep, that was part of the plan. So the SBI is run by a James Bond-style character who makes three Bruce Lees and then sends them off on special missions around the world. One's like an actor, one does some... It's, there's always one that's a fucking actor and doing movies and stuff. That's interesting. Uh-huh. And part of that is another corrupt filmmaker, which I guess is another plot of these movies, that wants to kill him in a, on screen for movies. So I guess there's a plot just, point in this movie yeah, where there's like, a Bruce Lee snuff film. Right. I don't know. But Three anyway. Bruce Lee's though. I mean, that's got to be better than one. I mean, that's true. Anyway, at the end, they come together and fight the villain who's Dr. Nye. I guess it's supposed to be like Dr. No. It's fucking ridiculous. There's a lot of gratuitous nudity and just crazy bullshit or whatever. These are just dumb movies for like people in America to like watch and like grind houses and like laugh at. Right. I mean, that's yeah, that's all these are. They're grindhouse movies and they're just trying to make money off it. But, you know, the the gimmick is, is that it's got not just one Bruce Lee, but three, actually four. So and this one's sort of like a three the hard way of Bruce Lee movies in that. And if you remember three the hard way, it had Jim Kelly, Fred Williamson and Jim Brown, you know, the biggest black exploitation stars. Yeah, this has two. Two of the three big Bruce Plantation oh. stars. So it's got Dragon Lee and Bruce Le mm. in it. And then another guy named Bruce L.I.A., which I mentioned him before. And then somebody named Bruce Ty, who's against the Ty version of Bruce. Okay, got Lee, it. Hence the name. And they all go and fight and shit like that. But this is considered like one of the bottom of the barrel movies. Yeah, it sounds rough. The clones of Bruce Lee. The respected and loved Chinese superstar Bruce Lee has just died. Starring... Dragon Lee, Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lai. Suddenly and without warning, he fell into a coma today. The Clones of Bruce Lee brings a new dimension to martial arts films. 
the next one I'm going to talk about is also considered one of the bottom of the barrel movies. And this one sounds even crazier, if you can imagine that. This one's called The Dragon Lives Again from 1977. It stars Bruce Leung. So not any of the top three I talked about. But if you thought Clones of Bruce Lee was crazy, then you need to check this out. Because this movie starts where Bruce Lee just died and has entered the underworld. Okay. So slight digression, Bruce Leung doesn't look anything like Bruce Lee, but they explain this away by saying that your soul looks different than you do on Earth. (laughs) That's just... Yeah, they're just like... They're fine, just, yeah. fine. At least yep. they tried to they make tried. an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. But so the plot is, somehow Bruce persuades the king of the dead to grant him a chance to return to the world of the living. But to do that, he has to fight all these creatures to get out there. Only they're not creatures. What they are are like people. But they're not people. They're characters from other movies. So he has to fight Clint Eastwood, like the man with no name character. He fights James Bond. He fights but, the exorcist. But not the real version. No, no. Like, let, let me Clint tell you, Eastwood was not in this movie, right? No, no, no. No, no, no. As a matter of so fact, this is like the scary movie of yes, Bruce Lee movies. Bruce exploitation movies. Yeah. yeah. But he fights the Godfather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For some reason, Emmanuel from the Emmanuel erotic movies show sure, up. Sure. Uh, Dracula shows there, up yeah. with mummies and with zombies for whatever reason. Uh, I'm not making any of this up. And then Bruce ends up teaming up with Popeye, played by a live action person, and they fight but bad guys Williams, and zombies. Yeah. No, not Robin Williams. And none of the people that play these characters. These are all actually done by Asian actors. Oh. I guess playing white face. I'm not uh, <laughs> sure, sure. And then the last thing I want to talk about, the last movie I want to talk about here, it never came out, but I would love to see this movie. I know and what it, you're going to talk about. It's Ilsa meets Bruce Lee in the Devil's Triangle. You mentioned this since, oh, in your, what was your El- Ilsa uh, It was the Nazis episode, the fun with Nazis right. episode, where Ilsa, the she-wolf of the SS, so she was in a bunch of other movies. So this was a planned film starring Bruce Lee, but it never got past the planning stages. I don't think they even ever even wrote it. Somebody made some, like, art yeah, a poster. That was poster very normal art. that the poster came before the screenplay. Yeah. Very normal. And Slate's looking at it right now, which if, if anybody knows where I can get a t-shirt yeah, of this, let the, me know because I want it. In the Devil's Triangle. Wow. Yeah. This looks good. Yeah. I love Bermuda Triangle movies. Yeah. This would have been great. But anyway, over the years, there's been like fake reviews and things on the internet making it sound like that this movie actually was filmed and that it came out. So somebody, I think, asked Diane Thorne, who plays Ilsen on the Ilsa movies at a, I don't know if it was like a con. Yeah, she shows up at cons. Yeah, and so they asked her that, and she said they were in talks, and that she even studied some martial arts. You know, she was like prepping for it because it was supposedly going to go in production and things like that, and they were trying to put it together, but it just fizzled out. It just never happened. Mm. It never came to to fruition. But Mm -hmm. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Guess not. All right, I'm wrapping this up a little bit, but before I do, there's a couple things I want to talk about, and that is besides all these crazy movies, which we can't tell are parody or meant to be taken seriously, they're definitely definitely were some intentional parody movies about Bruce exploitation. Mm-hmm. There was one called Enter the Fat Dragon from 1978 starring Sammo Hyung. Mm-hmm. We saw him fight Bruce Lee's imitator in yeah. the movie last night. He's a big overweight guy. He's, he's actually pretty acrobatic though and can he's fight. Not he's not like a, 300 pounds. He's like a little he's a, he's chunky. chunky. He's chunky. He's chunky. He's chunky. He chunky. But he plays an overweight pig farmer and, and a Bruce Lee fanatic who's sent to Hong Kong to work for his uncle on a food stall. He soon learns that what's acceptable in Bruce Lee movies are not necessarily acceptable in real life. And I guess he gets a bunch of fights and gets ass kicked. Honestly, I haven't seen this movie. I should have talked about this in my fat exploitation episode because even just in your description, it's called Enter the Fat Dragon. He works on a pig farm. Yeah. He goes somewhere and something about food. Like right. everything about it. His only character development is fatness. Yeah. Would have been perfect for that episode. 
episode. Oh, I had to bring this up too. In this movie, there's a scene where Samo winds up on the set of a shitty Bruce Plotation movie. Funny. Mm. And there's a Jim Kelly character where an Asian actor is dressed up as a black American fighter. And it's a parody of Hollywood's casting during that time because they would do, you know, white people playing Asians. That's funny. So they got an Asian guy in uh, blackface. That's kind of funny. Haven't seen this movie, but that sounds, sounds like something. Fun fact, there's a loose remake of this movie of the same name that came out in 2020. Of Enter the Fat Dragon? Yes. What is it? Enter the Fat Dragon. I don't know the plot, but it's a remake of it. Oh, I guess I'd know the plot. Fat yeah. guy, karate. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Asian and blackface. I don't yeah. know. So, yeah, there you go. And then the one you and I saw, this is the first bad movie I made you watch mm, yeah. in regards to this episode. It was funny. Called They Call Me Bruce? Question mark from 1982. And this film stars a stand-up comedian named Johnny Yoon as Bruce, or at least that's what everybody calls him. Anyway, the plot is Bruce is working as a chef for a mob boss. And because he's Asian, everybody thinks that he can kick all this ass. And he kind of accidentally ends up kicking somebody's ass. So they use him to run drugs. But he thinks he's... It's a he's, funny premise. It's just, yeah. it's one joke. It's one joke stretched whole out whole movie around it so yeah it's not a bad premise but oof. i mean yeah it, it didn't didn't need to be a whole movie goes a long way yeah. he walked like him he talked like him he even cooked yeah. like him he wanted to be just like bruce lee so he regulated his diet began intensive training yeah and learn to live like a great samurai master. <laughs> they call me Bruce, a superhero America can believe in. Fun fact, though, this movie wasn't released very widely, believe it or not. No. I know, big surprise. It was only released in 325 theaters, I think, but uh, it grossed $16 million. Wow, that's so I know. sad. It yeah. was actually a kind of a sort of a hit. Anyway, so there you go. All right, we are definitely winding down, but I do want to add a thing here because with all these movies that came out and you know alleged sequels and everyone imitating Bruce Lee, I don't think Bruce Lee's estate got anything from these movies. Maybe yeah. Game of Death, probably, but like all these other movies that were alleged sequels, I don't think their estate got any money. No, and the Bruce Lee's family got shit from these. And the thing is, copyright was so weird that I don't think Golden Harvest or any of these other companies could really sue when somebody else is like Fist of Fury too because of the way international laws were. So I think anyone could get away with that and to say this is a sequel to this Bruce Lee movie and no one's going to do anything about that. Also, there were just so many of them and they were released under different names and probably different cuts to different markets. It's a global market that probably they didn't even know that half of them even existed at the time. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's not like they had the internet back then. So it was no. just like, people are just dumping these things out. Oh, yeah. I bet the only people that made any money off of this were the ones that were directly involved and they took it in cash and walked away. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, that's kind of the dark part of this whole thing. I mean, besides the fact that it's totally exploitive, of course, is that this was all based off of Bruce Lee's life or at least, you know, fictionalized, you know, exploited life. And his family didn't get shit from it. Mm -hmm. All right. So since we've talked about the movies, we talked about the actors. Whatever happened to our big three Bruce exploitation actors? Mm. I'll tell you. So Bruce Lai, like I said, was only credited as being in one other movie after Chinese Stuntman. He eventually retired from the movie industry altogether in 1985 following the death of his wife. He's still alive and currently lives in Singapore teaching students gymnastics. But like I said, he was never someone who was comfortable with the idea of being Bruce Lee imitator. And of all the movies he was in, producers never allowed him to be himself. And he's quoted as saying, I could act like him, but I could never be him. 
So yeah. he, he had a little bit of regret. Bruce Le, on the other hand, really seemed to enjoy being Bruce Lee. Like he really liked doing the theatrics and stuff mm-hmm. and, and imitating. He's still making movies, still alive. And I think he still goes by the moniker Bruce Le. Like I oh, think wow. he makes propaganda films in China now. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> oh, fun fact. I think he was one of the stunt coordinators for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Not the ooze one, unfortunately, but the third one after that, Mm -hmm. where they go back in time, I guess. I never saw that one. I never saw any of them past uh, Vanilla Ice. Yeah, no, me neither. Anyhow, and then Dragon Lee moved back to Seoul, and he's a television actor and producer. He also heads a South Korean Actors Association. Oh, so, that's nice. Unfortunately, most of the Bruce Lee imitators never amounted to shit. You know, they right, were in sure. one movie or two movies at most, and then producers moved on to the next big thing. You know, they were just, you kind of look like Bruce Lee. You could do a couple of kicks, do some stunts. All right, here's some money. We're going to make this movie and get the fuck out, you know? Right. And so there, a lot of those folks has never found careers afterward. However, and we talked about him earlier on, one of the actors that I do want to talk about is Jackie Chan. Because actually, Jackie Chan was one of the actors originally groomed to be the successor of Bruce Lee. Oh, wow. And so he was pushed to that Bruce exploitation path. You may or may not know this, but Jackie Chan worked with Bruce Lee. He was a stuntman on Fist of Fury and Enter the Dragon. Oh, wow. The attempt to make Chan like Lee was a little more subtle, I think, than actors like Bruce Lee or Bruce Lee. But the similarities were still there at the time, especially in the movie New Fist of Fury from 1976, which was one of his first starring roles. They were really kind of trying to move him into the Bruce Lee mold. Sure. Anyway, just a little bit more on Jackie. Several more films followed. They were all martial arts films with serious tones. However, things took a turn for Chan, and he was able to make a name for himself both in Asia and in the West when he was finally given a chance to show off his comedic talents. So he mm. sort of broke away from that serious martial arts tone. And in 78, he made movies Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master, which are movies that really started shaping the way he does his martial arts. Because, you know, he, he ended up implementing a lot of, uh, like, Marx Brothers, Buster Keaton, yeah, sure. Charlie like, com- yeah, Chaplin like comedy kind of like physical comedy s- with his fight yeah. scenes. And, and he was able to, to get away from the Bruce Lee shadow, even though he was kind of under that umbrella, at least for a little bit. And that's pretty much where I'm going to leave this whole episode and leave this genre. In closing, I just want to say that Bruce Bluetation is such a unique subgenre. I think it can only really happen to someone as dynamic as Bruce Lee. Like, can you think of anybody now, if they died, that people would be trying to imitate no, that would them? That insane. Rock exploitation. <laughs> yeah. You know? Wait, rock exploitation? The rock. I'm just saying, I'm trying to think of somebody uh, who, you're like, You're saying is that because I made you watch San Andreas the other night. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, like, can you think of an actor or somebody? Yeah, or, the rock wasn't the first thing that came I to my mind. I just threw that out there. Yeah. It's such a unique subgenre, and it's just amazing how much mileage they got out of imitating Bruce Lee, and in some cases, like, poorly. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, it really sounds bad. sounds like most cases, poorly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's impossible today to imagine there being any type of industry based off of a a living actor now. However, there are a couple of things that I think echo from that time period and that whole subgenre that exists today. And I've got two big examples that I want to talk about. Mm. All right. The first one is The Asylum. You know who that is? Mm -mm. So The Asylum is an American independent film company and distributor that focuses on producing low-budget direct-to-video films. The company has produced titles that capitalize on major studio pictures often dubbed as mockbusters. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. talked about this. When we did we talk were about first this. coming up with ideas for this podcast. We talked about this. Right. Their goal is basically to trick people into thinking that the cover of like the DVD at Redbox is the same movie as like right. Battleship, or, you know, or something like that. It's called like Battle Shrimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, like these movies, these are real movies like Transmorphers. Yeah, Transmorphers. Or, we talked about this in one of the episodes. I forgot what it was. But... Or The Day the Earth Stopped. <laughs> 
<laughs> Atlantic Rim, Lord of the Elves. These are all like rely on misdirection. Yeah, and so yeah. it's not too different than like Enter the Game of Death. Yeah, or sure. New Fist of Fury, which makes people think that they're seeing an actual Bruce Lee movie or part of his filmography right. due to misdirection. You know, the asylum is counting on grandma going to Redbox and picking up the wrong movie. Right. And so I think it's that a great that's business model. Yeah. And I think that was like an early version of it in Bruce Exploitation. Yeah. And then ex- Exhibit B, when an actor dies making movies today or scheduled to be in a movie and they die, you know, they don't go and try to hire lookalikes necessarily. They use CGI right. these days. And so there's a couple examples of that, as you know, like for instance, Brandon Lee who died on The Crow he had about a week left to film and so they CGI'd his face or or used unused footage and repurposed it. Some of the things they did use a body double but it was like at a distance or whatever so very much like what they did with some of the Bruce Lee stuff. Another example is actor Oliver Reed who died in Making a Gladiator and if you remember they CGI'd some of his face and would use the same facial expression and reaction shot several times in other parts of the film very much like Game of Death and then Paul Walker who was in the Fast and Furious movies, he had a bit left to film in one of those installments. I think it was seven fucking, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, they ended up doing a lot of CGI recreation of him, but they also used his brothers mm-hmm. who had a very yeah, close likeness to him. And right. I think they scanned them, but also used them in actual scenes mm-hmm. to flesh it out so they can base it off of something and then CGI'd him over them. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the high tech version, you know, of what it used to be for the Bruceploitation movies that they tried to do then by, With you know, a you, piece of cardboard. But the piece of cardboard, now they just slap a CGI recreation over somebody else's face. So I think that's kind of where I'm ending this. These elements exist. And I think if you look at it back with the CGI stuff, I mean, it's plausible. We could have a whole new era of exploitation in the future where you just have a CGI Bruce Lee that's photo real, yeah. not looking like cardboard on a mirror, kicking some ass in a movie. I mean, it's it's plausible. That's something his estate should sue over. I agree. <laughs> that's I mean, they talk about it in the film industry all the time. It's like, how far can you go here before like the Tupac hologram? People are like, stop. Tupac would would have hated this. Right, you know what I mean? Exactly. And so, yeah, it's a it's a slippery slope. I mean, I get it for things like, you know, putting Carrie Fisher in another Star Wars movie and stuff like that. It limited capacity. Like, right. I don't want to see a movie starring Carrie Fisher right now. She's dead. Right. But I get it for stuff like that. that they already signed on for and probably knew I mean, they were already doing that in Star Wars before right. Carrie Fisher died, you know, to recreate scenes of where characters were younger and stuff like that. I mean, it's going to happen. Any way you slice, right. it's going to happen. I mean, luckily, we're starting to come to the end of all the sequels and the reboots and all of that of every other movie and they're running out of ideas so they're gonna start recreating these characters and it's just gonna suck it's gonna suck balls yeah it's gonna be really really bad to it no you're absolutely right so anyway that's my episode do you have anything anything so it was fun i mean not watching the movies although that the whatever that guy they call me bruce lee question mark was kind of fun there was some stupid ass stunts in that we watched on a sunday night and i had been drinking so that was pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is an interesting one. I also, I've been staring at this Bruce Lee that I bought you. I meant in, to put on the table so that... In Hawaii the whole time. So I'm glad I bought you that. It's a real shitty, Bruce real Lee statue. shitty. Yeah. Mid-kick. It looks like Bruce Lee, not Bruce Lee, but I bought him this Bruce Lee statue, I don't know, a couple years ago when I was in Hawaii and I've just been staring at it the whole time thinking about this topic. So hopefully I inspired you to do this topic of which I knew nothing about and I've never seen a Bruce Lee movie until last night. Statue you inspired me to do this so thank you good that makes me feel good yeah all right on that note we're out of here thanks everyone all right thanks 
Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. Fist of Bruce Lee, New Fist of Fury, Game of Death 2, Electric Boogaloo. I, I made up the Boogaloo part. But. I thought you were going to say fisting Bruce Lee, and I was <laughs> like, That's, that doesn't belong in this category. No, but after this episode, you would furiously be looking that movie up if that existed. Yep, yep. <laughs>